Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right, all right. High school, how are we feeling this evening? We feeling good? Wow, that pathetic. We really have to work on the beginning of these messages. High school, how are we feeling this evening? Man, oh man, I've, like, I've been with you for seven years and yet you still struggle right out of that video. Every time I say, how are you doing? We gotta work on that. Gotta work on that. Hey, um, I want you to bear with me this evening. I, uh, so I preached with you last week, then I went home, got to bed, woke up about five hours later. I took my newborn and my wife and we drove 13 hours to Montana for a family wedding. I feel like indoctrinated, thank you, Pastor Victor. I feel indoctrinated into like fatherhood because I've officially sat in a car with a newborn for 13 hours and got to listen to this child cry like the Dickens, but that wasn't the hard part. It wasn't hard listening to my child cry. It was, it was listening to my wife cry because she was listening to my child cry. Um, we got to Montana. We had a family wedding this weekend. So did all of the festivities for that. Drove back on Monday, 13 hours, and then launched into student camp yesterday. So yeah, if, uh, if, if you're participating in student camp, can you stand up for me real fast? Stand up for me real fast, let's go. Welcome, 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 you take a seat. If you are not participating in student camp, I'm telling you next year, if you wanna spend two weeks of your June just like an absolute pain, this is a great thing to do. Over the course of the last two days, we've done many a sprints, many a runs, many a push-ups, many of planks. They did some wall sits yesterday, like we're having a good time. So I, I say all that to say, I then preached yesterday, I preached this morning and I'm preaching tonight. My eyes are like bloodshot right now. I'm starting to get sunburned and that doesn't usually happen for tan guys, but it's like starting to happen right now. And I'm running on like a total of eight hours of sleep between the last three days. So you can bear with me, sound good? I need you, I need to hear you tonight, sound good? Okay, you're with me. All right, if you got your Bibles, Mark chapter four. If you're joining us for the first time tonight, oh dear goodness, we are in this series called God of Miracles. Let me hear you say it. God of Miracles. If it's your very first time to student ministry tonight, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm showing up to this church. I'm kind of like getting a feel for this, like what is going on? Over the last couple of weeks, we've launched into the Gospel of Mark, and we are looking at some of the miracles that Jesus accomplished in this book. And why this is significant is because this Gospel, it's the shortest Gospel that we have of all four Gospels. The audience that Mark is writing to here is, is primarily a Gentile audience. It's, it's people in like the Greco-Roman world, which means they don't have a preconceived understanding of like, of like Jewish history. They have no idea like what took place in the Exodus. They, they don't really have a context for like the creation account and Adam and Eve. They don't really like know about like God delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt, calling a people to himself, making a covenant with Abraham. They have, they have no context for like 
all of that. And all of a sudden, this guy, Jesus, shows up on the scene and he begins to make waves all throughout Jerusalem. And like the Roman Empire is hearing about this Jesus and people are going like, what's going on? And they're hearing from the Jews like, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. Like, this is the one that God promised would come to save and redeem the world. And if you're sitting in Roman culture, you're a Gentile, you're like, I don't know what that means. Like, I have no context for that. Why would I want to put my faith in this guy? And so Mark's approach to preaching the gospel to these people is instead of like trying to address how he is like the Messiah and the person who's fulfilling all of these Jewish prophecies, he begins by talking about all of these miracles that this man is doing. He begins talking about how this this man begins to to engage the natural with the supernatural. And he takes a man who's paralyzed from the neck down and forgives his sins and then says, stand up, take your bed and walk. And the man stands up amidst the crowd, takes his bed and he walks. Like we we get to see him do a lot of incredible things in this book. He walks into a synagogue and a man is standing there with a withered hand a hand that's completely lifeless, completely useless, completely worthless. And standing amidst the Pharisees, he says, stretch out your hand, asking him to do something impossible. And so he stretches out his hand. And today we're gonna gonna read about such a profound miracle, something that if you would have been there, you'd step back, you'd, you'd scratch your head. If you'd have been there, you'd probably do what the disciples did as we're about to read, you stood back in terror, like, what did I just witness? What did I just see? So Mark chapter four, we're gonna start there. We're gonna read this, we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna rock and roll. Mark chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 35. It says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. The boat was filling with water. So the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, he being Jesus. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And his followers, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? If you have a physical Bible with you, I want you to underline that statement. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he, or the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. We come in here this evening on this somewhat windy but nice warm summer evening in Colorado Springs got food in our bellies, have the honor and privilege of getting to sing your praises and worship you. Now we get the privilege of opening up your scriptures. 
Lord, there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of circumstances, there's a lot of people in this room, a lot of families represented here, which means that there are a lot of fears represented here, there are a lot of fears being experienced here, there's a lot of anxieties represented here, a lot of anxieties being experienced here, there's a lot of circumstances, crazy circumstances, dare we say storms going on in our lives that we have carried in here this evening. And I pray by your grace and your mercy that in the midst of all of the things that we are carrying in here this evening, every fear, every anxiety, every circumstance, every worry, that we would hear your words, peace, be still. Peace, be still. I pray you would give us but a glimpse of how much you love us this evening, Lord. Give us but a glimpse of how much you care for us, how much you delight in caring for us, how much you delight in saying, peace, be still. So Father, I pray that you would come and that you would have your way. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you are with me tonight, can you say amen? amen. Think about this moment. Like think about what's taking place. They hop into these boats. It wasn't just one boat, it was several boats. Hop into these boats and Jesus said, it wasn't anybody else who gave the idea to go to the other side of the sea. Jesus said, let us go across. And if Jesus is in fact who he says he is, if he is the son of God, if he is the omnipotent one, if he is the omniscient one, like if he is the all-knowing one, he has a very good idea of what is about to happen. He knows what's about to happen. And they hop into these boats. They begin to take off across the water and all of a sudden, like, just, like a hurricane shows up. Waves begin to break into the boat. The, wa the boat is filling up with water. How many of you have ever been on a boat before? Can I just show over? We live in Colorado. It's like not a thing here. Like, like four or five years ago, my dad, my dad, bless his heart. He's like the coolest, most generous man ever. And he's also like the cheapest man on the planet. When I grew up, I never got to buy like any clothes from like somewhere as nice as Walmart. Everything I owned was from Goodwill or the Salvation Army. <laughs> everything. And it wasn't just that. It was like, we had to go on Monday nights because on Monday nights, military got 50% off. So we'd like walk into Goodwill or the Salvation Army and my father, he would go, okay, go pick out seven items. And he would spend a grand total of like $3.75 on each of his kids. But we'd walk out feeling like kings, you know, and then you'd realize like the pants I just bought have like seven holes in them. <laughs> And back in the day, like that wasn't a style. I know it's a style now, but it wasn't a style then. Like, but this is, this is what I grew up. So four or five years ago, my dad's like, I wanna take you on a vacation. I wanna take you on a cruise. And we were all like, awesome. Like, I've never been on a cruise. Sounds fun. He goes, we're gonna do Carnival, the Carnival Cruise Line, and we're gonna go out of the Pacific in California in January. We were like, okay. We show up, it's a four night, five day cruise and it rained and poured and wind blew all four or five days. 
and we were on this boat. It was so bad, the two like stops we were going to make, we couldn't make one of them because the waves were so bad. So we just like floated by, <laughs> just like waved. And I kid you not, we sat on this boat and it was like, I don't, have any of you ever been on a cruise ship before? Like a couple of you maybe? Like I, you walk out onto a cruise ship and you know how you're like walking and like the boat will rock, but because it's so big, it's like subtle, but you got like that, whoa sort of feeling. If you go out on like a fisherman's boat, you kind of see it rock a little bit more. For five days, we sat on this boat and it's like, we had like all of the nauseous bands like on your wrist. And I literally sat in my room on the verge of puking for like four days. That's how miserable it was. Like I don't enjoy going out on a boat, but here's what I do know. I was sleeping somewhat at the center of this cruise ship, okay, at night. And at the center, it's usually like the least amount of like wobbling. If you're on the ends of the ship, you feel it the most. But at the center, like at the center of the boat, I would be sleeping and every time we would like feel a wave hit the boat and like my bed would go, it was, it's like the inception effect, you know, where you're like, you're falling and wake up I, I, 18 times, I'm like freaking out my wife. Cause I'm like, we're dying, you know, like, like that sort of thing. And like, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep for more than like an hour without being woozed awake. And I read this story and I'm like, Jesus was taking sleeping pills or something. <laughs> like he's laying in the stern of the boat on a cushion. And this isn't a cruise ship. It's a fisherman's boat, like a fisherman's boat. And we have waves breaking into the boat. So it's like either, like, does he have a blanket on him where he's not getting wet? Like, like I, I'm trying to understand the logic of he is sleeping sound, everybody is on the verge of death, waves are breaking against the boat, the rocking of the boat alone would wake me up, let alone the fact that the boat is filling with water. And what we have is we, like the, the disciples finally come to their breaking point and they say, Lord, Lord, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? And, and he wakes up and just like so casually, like I, we have no context for like what took place. We know that Jesus doesn't say anything until it's like, it's like he wakes up, hears them, looks at the wind and the waves, peace be still. Turns back around, why are you so afraid? <laughs> like, like, like you imagine this moment right now. But here's the thing. Most of the time, like when we read the gospels and we read like a miracle that's happening, I feel nine out of 10, I'll read it and I'll go like, like okay, the disciples are just like, like kind of being idiots here or the disciples aren't really listening here or like the disciples are, are just kind of, you know, being themselves, kind of being like their, their, their sinful, like status quo type selves and you know, Jesus is about to, but every time I read this story, I really, really resonate with, the disciples. I mean, I feel like they're giving a logical question, aren't they? I mean, let's rewind the context. It was Jesus who said, let's cross to the other side. Like it was Jesus who told them, let's get in the boat. So they're going, okay, we, we believe that you're the son of God, that you're the Messiah, hence we're following you. You told us to get in this boat. We're heading across here and now we're all about to die. Where are you? And I read, I, read, I read this text and I feel like that's a logical question. That's a fair question. And I, there's a couple of things that I want you to note about this. In the ancient Near East, what the sea represented was like, was like this, 
this untamable power. It was, it was something that was very uncontrollable. And it was like the only thing that could control the sea was like God himself. Greek mythology, Poseidon, right? Like, but like there was, there, was nothing, there was nothing that was like more dangerous than the sea. And I mean, you think about like going out on like in the sea, like I get terrified when I think about like what is beneath me? I have no clue right? Like it's, it's something that's, that's almost to be like this daunting, like you can't control me. I'm going to do what I want. Like you are at the mercy of the sea. Are you with me? Like this is what the sea represented. And this is why this is a really significant miracle that Mark is, is writing down, that Mark is taking note of because he knows his readers, the Gentile audience, like people who don't have any preconceived understanding of Israel. When he starts talking about the sea, he's like, oh, he's talking about like this untamable, unchangeable, like unimaginable power that cannot be controlled. Like, like we are all at the mercy of. And yet this man stands up and says, peace be still, and the wind ceases and the sea calms. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna zoom in, and I just kinda wanna like pick apart a little bit the three questions that are given in this text. There are three questions that are asked. The first by Jesus' followers, and the second and the third by Jesus. First question that is asked, just said it, teacher, teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? I want you to take a moment. I just want you to read that statement. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Interesting language. Now here's the thing, if I'm gonna be honest with you, my words are a little bit different, but I've prayed well, not prayed. I've asked this question to the Lord. I'm gonna go along the lines of somewhere close to at least 10,000 times. We all ask God this question at some point, don't we? When Russia invaded the Ukraine and we started watching like what was taking place and we started watching like all of these people being misplaced from their homes, I was going, Lord, do you not care? Like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I, sh I got to share this, this moment today at, at student camp. I, I had a, a couple that I officiated their wedding nine months ago, and they called my wife and I a week and a half ago, and, and they said, we have incredible news. This wasn't planned, but we're pregnant. And we're 10 weeks long and we're really excited and we wanna meet with you guys. And we said, awesome, like, let's get a date on the calendar. We're, we're ready to celebrate with you guys. And, and they're just like, we just wanna catch up. And we're like, awesome. And two days later, we got a text. And they said, hey, we have some really bad news. We just miscarried. And we said, hey, just come over, come to our house. And they came and they showed up at our doorstep. It's like nine o'clock at night, it's late. And they sat on our couch and we just said, share with us. And they just sat and they wept. And it was like, 
we sat there and there's, there's no response like you give in those moments. You don't, you don't start giving like statements of courage or statement of hope or just saying it's gonna be all right. Like that's not helpful. The only thing that's helpful in those moments is just to weep with people. And so my wife and I, we cried with them. We prayed with them. We worshiped with them. And that's a moment where you take a step back and you go, Lord, teacher, do you not care? Like, where are you? And I'm, I won't make you raise your hand, I don't need to. I'm willing to bet that 99 to 100% of the people in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, have come to a point in your life and you might be at this point in your life right now where you're looking at God and you're going, where are you? Where are you? Can't, can't you see like my, my, my parents' marriage is on the brink? And it doesn't seem to be getting better. And I've cried out to you over and over and over again. Where are you? Where are you? Do you not care? Do you not see what's going on? Some of you have had to like endure death or sickness or have to endure like the loss of a friend. Maybe it's death by suicide. Maybe it's death by cancer. Maybe it's, and you take a step back and you go, Lord, do you not care? You see, this is, this is what happens. Like this is, the, this is the tragedy when we rush through reading scripture. When we rush through reading scripture, like we don't take the moment to pause and go, like this is, this is like the essence, like this is like the question at the essence of the human heart here. Where we're looking around and we see a broken world around us and we're going, what's going on? Like God, like, like you're, you're the son of God. Like God is love. Like, like you're all powerful. Like don't you know, like you could intervene. Like, like where are you? Do you not care that we are in pain right now? Do you not care that like I'm suffering right now? Do you not care that I feel alone right now? Like I'm crying out to you and, and this is what ends up happening is people get so discouraged at feeling like God is hiding their, his face from them. The, the sense that God's just not going to answer you and, 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 and the sense that because your pain is not going away, because your storm is not ceasing, God doesn't care. And I wanna put before you this evening something that might be somewhat of a difficult truth for all of us to wrestle with and we will probably have to wrestle with for all of our lives. Jesus will still allow us to have to endure and go through storms and still love us. Like, don't you know that he still loves you and that him allowing you to have to sit in your storm, him allowing you to have to endure your storm, him allowing you to have to persevere through your storm, your pain, your circumstance is not a neglect or a disregarding of his love, but his love allows it. His love allows it. And this is something that it's like, we have a problem with, right? We're like, wait, well, why won't he just relieve it? Why won't he just simply take it away. And I have an illustration to help with that, but I want you to put, write down this statement. Can we put the next slide on the screen? Sometimes, 
Sometimes, not all times. But sometimes God works a greater wonder when he sustains his people in trouble than he would if he brought them out of it. In other words, God in his sovereignty decides that it would actually be better for us to have to know that he's gonna have to just sustain us through pain rather than taking pain away. Are you with me? Like, on a very simple and a very basic level, I'm learning this on a very, very, very minute scale with my daughter right now. Like, doing a 13-hour road trip to Montana, we get in the car, we begin to take off, we begin to drive, she begins to cry. She begins to cry, and it's like, okay, well, she needs to be fed, so we pull over, we feed her, change her diaper, she's completely good, we put her back in the car seat, we take off on the road again, and she just begins to cry. She begins to cry. And the question at hand here is, okay, wait, like I know, I know that what she needs is to sleep. I know she's tired. She hasn't slept in several hours. And so I have a choice. I could relieve her pain by just pulling over again and giving her food just because I know that that will silence her. I can relieve her pain just by pulling her out of the car seat and like picking her up and, and holding her or because I'm a father who knows my daughter needs to sleep, I can let her cry it out. And if God chooses in his sovereignty to give us the picture or the imagery that he's a father and making me a father knowing that it is difficult for me to hear my daughter cry, but I'll do it because I know that's what's best for her in the moment, I can only imagine how our Heavenly Father feels when he looks upon his children, when he looks upon all of us and we're asking him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he sits there and he lets us endure the pain because he knows that there is something in this. He is working something in this that is far better than if he were to just take the pain away. Are you with me? Don't rush past this text. Like, this is an honest question from the disciples, but what I love about it is it's met with sincere honesty from Jesus himself. Jesus wakes up, he looks at the wind and the waves, he says, peace, be still. The wind and the waves cease. Now, I want you to pay attention to something here. The disciples wake him up because they are afraid they are going to die. Are you with me? And we know this because Jesus looks at them and he says this question, point number two, question number two. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? He gets up and he goes, look, like, like, turns around, looks at them, and he goes, what? What? Why are you so afraid? But here's what I want you to catch. They are afraid like afraid because they think they're going to die. Jesus gets up and he says, peace, be still. He turns to them and he says, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? And then the end of the passage says, and then they were terrified. Like they went from afraid to terrified. But there's one problem here. It makes no sense. 
It's like, wait a minute, you were afraid because you were about to die, like, like, like the sea was about to take your life, and now you are afraid because you're standing in front of a guy who commands the sea and commands the wind and commands the waves. Are you catching this? Like they're afraid at both parts of the passage, and you need to see what Jesus does in this moment. Like he gets up and he says, peace, be still. Now again, think about the context. The only one, the only one in all of their understanding who has the ability to tame this untamable power called the sea. The only one who has the ability to direct the sea is God himself. And they're watching a man right in front of them get up off a cushion out of the stern and say, peace, be still. They're afraid of the power of the sea. But by the end of the passage, they're afraid of the power of Jesus. Are you catching this? Like, don't miss this. This, what is supposed to be an absolutely, like, magnificent, great, immeasurable power. Like, like hear me. Storms have no regard for us. Are you with me? Life deals blows and it couldn't care less about how we respond to it. Every person in this room knows this. Like, like you're gonna have storms in life, like mother nature does not care. Does not care for you, does not care for me. Like mother nature is mother nature. An avalanche does not have feelings. A hurricane does not have feelings. A tornado does not have feelings. Here in Colorado, we know it well. Like a forest fire does not have feelings. Mother nature is mother nature. Like these forces that seem to just go, go, go until they're just gonna stop. Like in their context of like something that has no regard for them, that has complete power over them. Like they're out in the middle of the sea. They're at the mercy of the sea. Like this powerful sea, like it tears you down. And in this moment, they have no longer any regard for that power because they just witnessed a greater power. But here's our good news. The power that is Jesus Christ has made a choice before the foundation of the world to love you and to love me. A sea gives no, no rip about you or me. At its mercy, does not care for us. And this power that has the ability to tame and to command the wind and sea cares with everything for you. Are you with me? In light of that, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's going, why are you so afraid? Do you not know that it's not just a magnificent power that you are floating on, but you are riding in the boat with power itself? You are with one who has the ability (laughs) to do all things. You are with one who has the ability to look every storm, every circumstance, every pain that you have in your life in the face and he can say, peace be still, peace be still. And then he asks this follow-up question right after he says, why are you so afraid? He says this, have you still no faith? 
In the Greek, this can be translated to, where is your faith? He's going, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And, and this is the moment, I think, for all of us where we get really discouraged. Because we go, oh, here we go again, I'm back to square one. If I had just had the faith, if I had just had like, like faith, if I had just like, like could conjure it up to like know that, that Jesus is bigger than the pain that I'm experiencing, but at the, at the end of the day, like pain is what I'm feeling, I'm not experiencing anything from God, and then his response to me is like, where's your faith? And you just go, well, if I could have it, I would have it, right? Like it almost feels like a trick question. And I love the way that Jesus asked this question. I love the way that he says, have you still no faith or where is your faith? Because, here, because here's the thing. Can we go ahead and put this statement on the board? The critical factor of one's faith is not the strength of their faith, but the object of their faith. This is what Jesus is saying here. Uh, let's, let's look at it like this way. Imagine you are on a cliff and right here is life. And as you step over the edge, that down there be death. You with me? Real simple, okay? And let's say that you were to fall off this cliff. And as you are falling off this cliff, there is a branch poking out on the side of the mountain, wherever you are. And you have a choice. You're gonna reach out to the branch and you're gonna give a last ditch effort to save your life, or you don't. What Jesus is saying here is he's going, your faith is not so much contingent, like the, the, the critical thing about your faith is not about like you reaching out for this branch. The question is, will the branch hold you? Like, will the branch catch your weight? Will the branch save your life? What Jesus is saying here is he's going, this is not about whether like you can willpower your way. You can attain this virtue of like belief. He's saying, do you trust that I'm the God that's gonna catch you? Jesus is the branch. He's saying, do you, do you trust that I am the one who has the ability to look every storm in your life in the face, and I have the authority and the power to say, peace, be still. And you sit here and you go, well, pastor, that would be great, but he's not taking care of these storms in my life. And I have a really hard truth that all of us are gonna have to wrestle with when it comes to that. And that's the reality of there are gonna be times where he takes that storm and he deals with it, and there are gonna be seasons where he makes us endure it. He gives us no guarantee that he's going to deal with any of those storms except for the fact that he promises at the end of all things they will be dealt with. This story is really, really fascinating, and I wanna go ahead and invite the worship team up as I close with this. Like this story is extremely fascinating because if you pay attention to it, and if you've been in church for a while, this story has almost identical elements to the story of Jonah, almost identical. You have Jonah and Jesus on a boat. You have Jonah and Jesus going out to sea. You have Jonah and Jesus asleep in the boat. 
You have a storm come across both boats. You have both crews of the boats come and wake Jonah and wake Jesus and to give them a newsflash that they are about to die. Jesus' response is, peace, be still. Jonah's response is this, Jonah 1.12. He says, there's only one thing to do. If I perish, you'll live. Or you survive. If I die, you will live. Like if I perish, you survive. If I die, you will live. Now I want you to think about this moment. Like if you know the story of Jonah, the story of Jonah is God looked at Jonah and he said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to preach like this good news to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, nope, I'm gonna get on a boat and I'm gonna go the opposite direction. He gets on a boat, goes the opposite direction. God brings a storm upon the boat. They wake up and Jonah knowing that it's his disobedience to God that has put all of them at risk. He looks at the, the, the crew and he says, look, if I perish, if you throw me overboard, you'll survive. If I die, you'll live. Now we look at that and we go, yeah, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus just got up and said, peace, be still. But I want you to pause. And I want you to look at these words one more time. There's only one thing to do. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you will live. Brothers and sisters, these are the words of the gospel. These are Jesus's words to you and me. If you don't know it and you're here for the first time, you see the story of our faith is that we are a sinful, broken, people, desperate need, in desperate need of a savior. And so our gospel says that our God so loved us, he so loved us, the God who created us, the God who stands over all things, like he so loved us that he sent his son so that he would perish and that we would survive, that those who would put their faith in him would survive, that he would die so that we could live. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus put his face towards the greatest storm of all eternity. Not just the storm of parents getting divorced. Not just the storm of wars breaking out around us. Not just a storm of viruses and disease. Not just a storm of political division and civil unrest. Like not just a storm of sickness. Not just a storm of de depression. Not just a storm of loneliness. No, like, like he looked at the storm of sin and death. And with putting his own life on a cross, he said, peace, be still. I've come to take care of my children. 
I've come to give them a hope that goes beyond the grave, that goes beyond sickness, that goes beyond divorce, that goes beyond suffering, that goes beyond shame, that goes beyond opposition, that goes beyond death itself. This is the miracle that Jesus came on behalf of every single one of us and said, peace, be still. Can you stand with me? Uh, Let's go ahead and do this. I want you to stay in front of the sound booth. You can go ahead and spread out, just find some space. Just don't go to the back of the room, stay in front of the sound booth. You can stay in your, your chair if you'd like to. Uh, I want to ask you to do something like uh, something courageous with your faith if you haven't before. I want you to bow your heads real quick. And if you are, you might not be going through a storm. You might not be ha- going, some, during, going through something in life that's like super difficult right now. That's, that's okay. You can, it doesn't take long. You can look at the rest of the world and see that there are plenty of storms right in front of us, but you might be in here this evening and you're like, I'm carrying something heavy. I got something really, really like drastic and dire and desperate going on right now. And I'm, I'm struggling for breath and I'm crying out to God. And maybe you're angry with God because you don't feel like he's answering you or you just don't know what to do. And I want to ask you to do something that's going to require faith. I want you to hear these words. God does allow people that he loves to go through storms. There's no need to panic. God allows, he allows people that he loves. So what that means is if you are going through a storm right now, You are experiencing pain right now. You're freaking out right now. That does not mean that God does not love you. Like this story should give you great hope. It means that even in the midst of a storm, even if that's something you're going through, that doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he's turned his back on you. It doesn't mean that he's ignoring you. It just means that he has a purpose and a reason for it that's better than him relieving you of it. And you go, that just seems like torture. Like, why won't he just tell me? That's something that you're going to have to release to the Lord. That's why the prophet Isaiah says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Like, they're higher. But here's the good news. He still loves you. And he has the power and the authority resting in his hands to say, peace be still. So this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you to, with your head bowed, I want you to, I want you to look at that storm. I want you to almost like kind of see it in front of you. Like see it in front of you. Like, like identify what it is in your mind. Like that, that thing that's standing in front of you. And in faith, just go, 
God, I know you are good, even in light of this. Like that prayer, oh, that prayer requires faith. God, I know you are good and I know you are in control and I know you still love me despite this. I wanna invite you to do that if you have the faith to do it. God, I know. God, I know that I know that I know that I know you are good. You are for me. You are in control and you love me despite this. And then I want to do, I want you to do what might feel really natural to do, what might feel unnatural to do is yet again pray, Lord, would you please take this? This is what Jesus means when he teaches us to pray and he says, lead me not into temptation. Like, Lord, lead me not into to this place of testing. Like, like, lead me not. It's okay to plead with God to say, peace, be still. Don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary in your faith of saying that prayer. Don't grow weary at looking at your storm and asking God to say, peace, be still. You gotta keep praying it. You gotta keep crying out. You gotta believe he is the God who can and yet know that he is good. He cares for you and he loves you even though he is allowing you to endure this storm. following that, as we head into this, this last worship song, I just want you to, to take a moment and say, Jesus, you are my peace. As you go out from this place, like us making the declaration that we understand and we're going to have the faith to go, my peace is not going to rest in circumstances. My peace is not going to rest in things working out the way I want them to work out. Like my peace rests in Jesus. And what that allows for you is for you to be able to receive that good news, that peace every day, despite what happens. Storms are powerful. They hurt. They tear us down. They're difficult. They carry great power, but hear me, there is a greater power still whose name is Jesus. And he commands the wind and the waves. They submit to him. They submit to him. So Lord, as we enter into this time of response, I pray that your peace would rest upon us. I pray that you would give us the faith to look at our storms, though great and powerful they may be, and see that you are greater still. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.